Jeff has an introduction of some people. Uh, we, Jan and I have two friends who have traveled here from Malawi. Uh, we'll start with the, the senior. Stand, stand up. So, this is Napoleon Zambe. Uh, he is a, as I introduced him, in levels of importance, a church elder, a village chief. He is owns the area our hospital, Blessings Hospital, is on, and he's also a presidential advisor. Uh, so he is a, a very wise and important man and came to celebrate our 10th anniversary with the Lipscomb, Sarah Walker, Chikami Health uh, Foundation celebration on Friday. And so he's, you want to say any, any words of wisdom? I'll throw you on the spot here. <laughs> well, I'm humbled to stand before you, and uh, I would like to thank him so much for taking care of me, and he introduced me to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Harold Banda. He is our hospital administrator at Blessings Hospital in Africa. Would you like to say, and also a church elder at the uh, the Bazi Church of Christ? Oh, sorry, just a deacon. Sorry, just a He's the one who introduces me all the time when I go there, so I, I, I promoted you. How are you? Yeah, we are so excited to be with you at the church, and you are more people more friendly, and uh, we are much honored, and the family of the NSTRS a lot, a lot is here at Nashville. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's, uh, you know, this, every time I come to church, Josh speaks to me in ways, and um, today, Studying this deal out of 1 Samuel. What is in 1 Samuel that's going to help us? Everything he said is in 1 Samuel. Everything he, he is putting on our plate is in 1 Samuel. You know, we, we started off, Cole started singing that song. Look at John 5, if you will. Cole started singing that song, Waymaker. And, you know, we, we find ourselves riding around and, and singing um, singing songs, we have no idea what we're singing half the time. And, but that is a profound statement that our God is at work. Take a look at John chapter 5, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews were persecuting Him. Jesus said, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I'm working too. Stick it in your face, this is what I'm doing. What is God's job? What is God doing? Since the fall of man, God's job is to chase you. He chases us. He doesn't say that in John, but think about it. That's what God's job is. He chases after us. And that's 1 Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel, if you will. <clears throat> okay, I need to find it. 
Um, listen to these words. Then Hannah prayed a prayer. My heart, listen to that. Listen to it, where she personalized it. My, 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 I, I, I. My heart rejoices in Yahweh. In Yahweh, my horn is lifted high. That means I get my power. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like Yahweh. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by Him deeds are weighed. Literally, one version said, His actions, our actions are under His scrutiny. I like that better. The bowels of the, mouths of the mighty warriors are broken. If your version doesn't say mighty in there, it's wrong. I don't know why it's wrong, but it's wrong. It says mighty warriors are broken. But those who, stump, those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food. Those who are hungry hunger no more. Those who are barren, well, they have seven children. She who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and He raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes. He has them inherit a throne of honor. The foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he, set, he has set the world. He has guarded the feet of the saints. The wicked will be silenced in darkness. This is the last part of this. It's not by strength that one prevails. You can't do it on your own. He will thunder against them from heaven. Yahweh the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King. Yahweh the Lord, I'm sorry, give strength to His King. He will exalt the power of His, what does your Bible say? Mashiach. Mashiach. Anointed. So, if you just look back and study this, and I've looked at it and thought about it all week, look, look just a couple of words. Arrogance, mighty, wicked, those who oppose the Lord, and then drop down to verse 12. Eli's sons, literally the Hebrew says, were men of Belial. They were wicked men. So Hannah is calling them out, and here we are. This is where we are. That's how we're going to start today. Uh, so we have Elkinah, who, it's you know, if you just read a book and don't expound a book, you probably will get a very limited amount of um, what's in there. Uh, we went last week over to uh, Deuteronomy, maybe. 
uh, and read, where, or, or maybe it was Kings, read where uh, Elkinah was, was one of the men that um, uh, was a Levite, and he was assigned to be in music role in the temple later on. So Elkinah is a Sadiq. He is a righteous man. It doesn't say that here in Samuel. We get his righteousness because he goes to the feast, he does the things he's supposed to do. But it doesn't say he's a Sadiq. Hannah is an Anuim. Can anybody else name a couple that's called out as being Sadiq and Anuim? Joseph and Mary. Or Sadiq and Anuim. This whole story is going to go over and over and over. And that's how we start this. So, Elkinah's sons, um, let, let me see if I, uh, yeah, Elkinah's sons were men of Belial, wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it's one thing to be honoring, one thing to just not believe in God, but they have no regard for the Lord. And there are his priests. They're the priests at Sheol. Let me just, let me just say this. Um, worship in Shiloh at this point in time is an absolute farce. And everyone knows it. All of the children of Israel know it, yet they're commanded in Leviticus to go up to Shiloh three times at Shiloh, up three times a year, and worship. There's three festivals that everyone must keep, and that's it. And Shiloh is the place. It's where the Ark of the Covenant rests. So that's what they had to do. But it's a farce. Uh, it's, it's scandalous. There's public and scandalous sin going on at Shiloh. Let's keep reading. Now it was the practice of the priest that when the people offered a sacrifice, while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come. Notice it wasn't a priest. They'd sent a, la they'd sent a lackey. We call, them, we call him fork man. Uh, they would send him with a three-pronged pork in it, a fork in his hand. And while the pan was boiling or the cauldron pot, the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. That's Levitical law. But, but prior to that, in Leviticus 3, if you look at it, the priest is always given the, the breast and the right leg of whatever you kill. I was talking to Josh Strahan at one point in time. He was talking about no refrigerators. and that. So anytime you had meat, a priest killed it because you offered part of it as sacrifice, first fruits. You offered it as part. You didn't go home and kill meat on your own. You took meat to be sacrificed. And you gave the portion that was commanded, the Levitical portion. And out of that Levitical portion, the fat, the fat was a sweet aroma to God. That's what everybody, the fat burned off and that was a sweet aroma to God. And so the so fork man would come. Let me, let me say this about that. Okay. So you travel up to Shiloh. Travel up to Shiloh. And I started to, I, I don't even know where that bag is, Dale, but I'd love to bring that bag and show people. Uh, I have a bag 
that she's put somewhere. I'm going to <laughs> my pottery. My, my. <laughs> it made it through customs. I don't know why I can't find it. Uh, so, so you would, how do you get your food to Shiloh? You're going up, you're going. What they did is they put it in these clay pots, these handmade clay pots. And if you go to Shiloh today, Shiloh today, which excitingly I will tell you that uh, Josh and I were on the phone this week, November of 24 is our next Israel trip. So, so if you ever have, have a thought about it, you want to do it, I mean, if nobody else wants to do it, Josh and I will go by ourselves. It's fine. It will be fine. But if you ever thought that you might be interested in doing it, you ought to just kind of text Josh or send, send Josh something because he's keeping a, he's keeping a roster to where we can remind people in time. And I will tell you, we take the first 40 feet. We have 60-seat buses, and it's expensive enough that we want this to be the trip of a lifetime. It's not something that uh, that is going to be... You know, so we don't want you to be crowded. We take the first 40 people, and then we'll do it again in another two years. So that's, how did I get off? Okay, so Shiloh, you go to Shiloh, and you take your food for the week. Well, you don't have plastic bags, and you don't have Tupperware, so what do you, you put it in these clay pots. And when you eat the food at Shiloh, you don't take the clay pots back, even though it's, you know, that's just too much. So... There are 400 years worth of 3,000-year-old clay, broken clay pottery all over that mountain. It doesn't take long for somebody like me who lives this to gather a bag. Larry's got a bag pulling up. Yeah, can you find your bag? See, I have no idea what I'm He has an office. Randall, it's, yes. it's really dramatic because we have the platform where the, uh, the tabernacle was. And there are three mountains. Right. Like setting the stage. And the people were sitting on the sides of those hills and mountains. And when it was all over, they threw the plate down. So that's where really it's everywhere. It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, so, anyway, back at Shiloh, for, Forkman would go around, and even before the fat was burned, he would say, give me some of that meat that's not cooked. We don't want that old cooked stuff. They were defiling everything that was taught in Leviticus. What's the purpose of Leviticus? The book of Leviticus. Anybody? Holiness. What's the purpose of all the stuff that God made the Israelites do? To teach them what it is to be holy. They've lived in Egypt for 400 years. They've worshipped all these weird god, bug gods and all these gods. He's teaching them what it's like to be in the presence of a real God. This is it. This is the every, it's holy. You can't touch my ark or you die. It's not that God killed Uzzah, even though it does say God struck him dead, but uh, 
God didn't really. It's it was that Uzzah didn't respect what he knew. That ark is holy. You don't touch it. <clears throat> the sin of the young men were, was very great in the Lord's sight, and they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Side note, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. The Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. God is always working. Even in the midst of all this yuck, God is working. You can see little Samuel. And don't think for a minute his mama didn't make him a robe that looked exactly like Levi's, I mean like like Eli's high priestly robe. It was little Samuel in his robe with his long hair and he was serving God. Man, what an example. What an example. <clears throat> Josephus, the uh, historian, talks about Hophni and Phidias. He says, They were guilty of impurity with women that came to worship God in the tabernacle, obliging some to submit to their lust by force and enticing others by bribes. Uh, nay, the cause of their lives was no better than tyranny. And now we're about to receive judgment. Eli was very hurt, old when he heard about the son, everything his sons were doing in Israel, how they slept with women that served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. I've got Exodus 38, 8 written out to the side of my Bible, but I'll just tell you what that is. That is when they set up the whole tabernacle system, it says there would be women that served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And that's who the sons of Eli were cavorting with. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about the wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons. It's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against other men, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel continued to grow in, in stature and in favor with God and man. wonder where Luke got that phrase. Isn't that pretty obvious? That's so cool. I love that. <clears throat> um, in the midst of all this, a man of God, we don't know his name, we don't know where he came from, we don't know who sent him, we didn't know how he was identified as a man of God. But look at it. A man of God came to Eli and said, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to you in your father's house when you were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to the altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod in my presence. I also gave your father house, 
father's house all the offerings that were made by fire with the Israelites. I also gave your father's house. I'm sorry. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor my, your sons more than me by fattening yourselves? I mean, Eli's 98 years old and he's overweight. Now I'm one to talk. This is preaching to everybody. But how did he get that way? He was fattening himself on the sacrifices that the people were bringing for the Lord. He was bypassing that. That would have gotten me. So it wasn't just his sons doing that? He ate the meat. They were doing it. He, they were acquiring it, but he was eating it. I mean, you don't get to be obese to the point that you're called out by Scripture <laughs> without, without being really obese. <clears throat> Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering made by my people? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever, but now far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, I will disdain. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength. Literally, the Hebrew, I love the Hebrew better. I will cut off your arm. That's where a man gets his strength. You know, I, I realize that every day as, you know, I'll hand something to my son and say, open this jar. That's when you've crossed over. <laughs> you don't have strength anymore to do that. <clears throat> Although good will be done to Israel, your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you will, that, that I cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears. Grieve your heart. All the descendants will die in the prime of their life. And, it, and what happens to you and your son's hoping finish will be assigned to you. They're both going to die on the same day. I will raise up, meanwhile, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. I will firmly establish his house. Now, here's another rabbit hole you can go down. But it's, I think it's in Kings where it says, um, this is to fulfill what was told Eli. And it's not talking about Samuel because Samuel was not a priest. He was a prophet. In Kings, it, it's, it's talking about, and I can't, I'm not going to get the names right, but Zadok is the faithful lineage priest that he raised up. And that's the lineage that went on. It's fun to just do this. Late at night, you find Zadok. And you go, woo! <clears throat> Meanwhile, chapter 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord Eli. In those days, a word from the Lord was rare. And there were not many visions. Let me say this about that. We all have Scripture. And we can all glean from the Holy Spirit uses that Every time we read and say the Holy Spirit will use that some way to affect you. If you don't read and study, and if you're not in the Word, the Holy Spirit ain't got anything to work with. That's the way to say it. You've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. 
and he'll use it. Um, as elders, we get these uh, these things. What, the, what do they call that thing when, when people want to be members? They change the name every six months. I'm sorry? Discovery class. So we get synopsis. We get uh, from people who are placing membership. And, you know, over 100 people have placed membership at Otter Creek for, the last, for as many years as I can think of. Every year. Over 100 different new people. And you read their, what the, I was born here, I grew up here, I was raised in this church, I was baptized here. What brought you to Otter Creek? Josh's sermons touch me. They give me something that's not normal. And we get that. It, it, I, you know, I would tell you, not every shepherd reads them. I read them because I know what they're going to say. They're touched by the propheticness of what Josh is saying. Don't think that you can study and get up and do what he did this morning. He's praying about your soul. He's thinking, how can I touch people who are old like me and pretty much untouchable? Uh, how can I touch a young heart that's seeking? He wants to touch all those in the same thing. And sometimes, and I want to say this, sometimes I get offended by something he says. Why do you have to say, mm, mm, mm. and he gets enough of those. But he does that because there's somebody that needs, you know, I, I never will forget. There was something um, not too long ago, and I just thought, it was like, why does he have to bring politics into everything? And I started to walk out, and Gail grabs me and goes, I don't really like politics, but if you had to say it, that would be perfect way to say it. I'm just telling you, we're trying. We're trying. And it's not perfect. You know, as a matter of fact, he quoted G.K. Chesterton this morning. I'm going to quote G.K. Chesterton. My favorite quote from G.K. Chesterton is a British preacher and theologian uh, is that the great miracle of 2,000 years of church history is that the church has thrived with an empty leadership. <laughs> he was a preacher, so he had to be in all those elders' meetings, too. <clears throat> so the word from the Lord was rare in those days. God did not speak. And you can, there are many reasons for that. Were the people not ready to hear? Were the, what, was, what was the reason? But God, God's timing is perfect. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak, he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place in the lamp of God, had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple the Lord's, near the Ark of the Cup. Uh, then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel said, here, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. So he laid down. They did that three times. And finally, it took the third time, Eli was like, okay, well, he's hearing something. Maybe. And he just said, it took, it took an old prophet an old priest who's spoken with God before. I, as a matter of fact, look at, look at what it says about uh, Samuel. Um, 
I, I, I'm not going to be able to find it, but but he, he's he, Eli thought Samuel doesn't know what God sounds like. He's never talked to God before. And God spoke to Samuel and told him what's got to happen. Um, look at uh, verse 17. What then was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me that he told you. And that is really a release for little Samuel. Because little Samuel doesn't want to, I don't want to tell you bad stuff. But if you make me promise and swear that I'm going then I'll tell you. The Lord was, uh, uh, so Samuel told him everything. He hid nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his own eyes which means I accept my punishment. And what was his? What was what he did wrong? Because I'm telling you, you can raise children, you can do whatever, you can't control them. You can't control them. And, but if they, go, if they go off and you rebuke them and try to correct them, you don't let them keep their job. If their job is to be, you are a priest of the Lord, where Eli failed is he let his sons keep on playing the farce. You got to do something about it, and he did. And the Lord was with Samuel, and he grew up. Yet none of the none of his words fell to the ground. What does that mean? It means God is now talking to Samuel, and every time God would say something to Samuel, Samuel would say. Think, think about how old do you think Samuel is right here? He came to Shiloh at three. Say, we're guessing. His mom and dad have five more kids. That happened. That doesn't just happen quickly. What do you think he's in his teens? Think about that. And God's talking to him. He's not talking to anybody else in Israel. I'm not going to know where this says this. Um, oh, here it is. The Lord, the Lord was with Samuel, and he grew up, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was a tested prophet of the Lord. Act 14. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Um, well, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do four real quick. What, what time is it? Anybody? I've got 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Just at the end of chapter 3, Samuel does not talk again until chapter 7. Because chapters 4, 5, and 6, and Jeff is going to cover this next week, chapters 4, 5, and 6 are what I call archaeology. It's not digging archaeology. It's about the ark. So we're going to call it archaeology. <clears throat> Pretty funny, huh? <clears throat> and the Israelites went out to fight with the Philistines, and they camped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines camped at Apec. Now, we don't know where Apec or Ebenezer are, just suffices to say 
It's on the coast. It's about 22 miles due west of Shiloh by the Mediterranean where the Philistine encampments are. That's where the Philistines... The Philistines are a sea people, Crete, Cyprus. Somehow they landed there and they were the arch... And well, the Amalekites are the arch. But the Philistines became an arch. They were always at war with the Israelites. Uh, as a matter of fact, where is that? Uh, there's, there's a phrase here that it, uh, it says it was the Philistines, okay, the Philistines deployed their forces uh, to meet Israel. Literally in Hebrew that says it was a spring and the Philistines went out to battle because that's what they did. And the battle spread. Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Good question. Let us now take the ark of God to Shiloh so that it may go before us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Where'd they mess up? Wasn't the ark that God wanted them to take to the God wanted to be consulted. He wanted to give the okay. He wanted to be in charge. That's what it means to be dependent on God as a nation. But no, let's just haul out the ark. What, what are they saying there? Somebody think about that. What are they saying? Huh? They're trying to control God. He would never let those Philistines take his ark. Well, we'll just show him. If he won't protect us here, we'll just roll out the ark. The ark's a magic wand. Yeah, exactly. It's going to kill everyone. It kills us if we touch it. Right. So we're going to walk it out and let it watch him kill all the Philistines. That's exactly what they did. I've got written, so somebody said it, you may have said it in the class, religion does not deliver the ark. So the ark's not going to deliver his righteousness delivered. That's right. And and going after his righteousness. Ask him. That's right. Now what do we do? That's that's what Joshua did. Joshua would go and they'd be ready to go to battle and Joshua would be in a tent going, I, I hadn't prayed about this yet. I'm going to pray about this several days. And when he he got to go ahead. He went, and who was it went before the Israelites? God. God went before the Israelites. He fights our battle. So the people, the men of Shiloh, they brought back the Ark of the Covenant for the Lord of the Lord Almighty. You know that that's a great title. They brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. That's how we ought to refer to the Ark of the Covenant. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, went with the Ark of the Covenant. How nice of them. And the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp. All Israel raised such a great shout that it shook the ground. I think Nayland State. <laughs> Times four. 400,000. But hearing, upon hearing the uproar, the Philistines said, what's all that shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark had come into the camp, 
the Philistines were afraid, they said, They brought the ark over there. Oh, wow. No, they didn't say that. But God was going to do it. They had more respect for it than Israelites did. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has ever happened to us. Woe is us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They remember what had happened in Egypt. They're the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues of the desert. Be strong, you Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews. You'll be slaves to these Hebrews if you don't buck up. As they, have been, as they have been to you, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was great, and Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. That's a lot. That's a lot of men. Just as a sacrifice. And a runner ran the 22 miles. He was obviously a marathon guy. He ran the 22 miles and he found Eli sitting on the side of the road. What? What about the ark? What? He's blind. He can't even see the guy. He said, what about the ark? And he goes, well, we lost. And your sons were killed. But what about the ark? And the ark was taken. Eli fell over, and, you know, I see commentaries that say he broke his neck. He, I think he might have, his heart just might have burst. He died. He was done. I'm not going to recover this. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, may have said the most theological thing that ever came out of the lineage of him. She says, it's a body. That's what I'll name my son. And she died. And Ichabod means the glory has gone from Israel. It's a big deal. It's just, it reminds me of Ezekiel 19, where the temple in Jerusalem, think about just, you magnify this synagogue a thousand times and you've got the temple. The rocks, I could worship the rocks at the temple. The rocks are incredible. With the, with the band, around, the Herodian band around it. It's just amazing. So the temple in Ezekiel 19, what happened? God left the temple. He saw a smoke or whatever, and he went out and he went east to leave the temple. So what's in the temple? You still got the ark and you got the cherubim and you got all that stuff. But there's nobody in it. And they knew it. And they played like that for how many years? Until the, until it was, the Babylonians destroyed it. Until it was destroyed. And then the Romans destroyed it. And they want to build it back right now. Anything else? Jeff, next week. Thank you very much.